Hello and welcome to this Nutri-Ingredients podcast. I'm Nikki Hancox, editor of Nutri-Ingredients Europe, and in this episode I'm joined by Justin Green, director of scientific affairs at Epicor, a Cargill brand. Epicor is a postbiotic clinically shown to support immune health via the microbiome. This is an exciting area of scientific discovery and one in which consumers are increasingly aware and interested. I started this conversation by asking Justin to introduce himself and his role at Epicor. Yeah, my name is Justin Green. I'm uh, uh, my background's in biochemistry. I have a PhD in, in biochemistry, and I am the director of scientific affairs for the division of Cargill involved in uh, ingredients for human health. So my job is to coordinate uh, human clinical trials to show the efficacy uh, in in health for our ingredients, and then communicate the science as well, like I'm doing today. So today we're going to be talking specifically about postbiotics. So could you tell us um, the definition of postbiotics and the um, key elements of this definition, which differentiate it from pro and prebiotics? Yeah, definitely. First, I'll give a general overview about the differences between the three, because there's definitely uh, confusion about it. Postbiotics is is a new term, so of course there's going to be confusion, and we're like we're doing today. There's there needs to be some education uh, towards people about the differences between probiotics, prebiotics, and postbiotics. And most people who are interested in supplements have heard of of probiotics and maybe prebiotics. And so how does postbiotics fit into that? And the the common thread on all of them are microorganisms. So microorganisms just mean single-celled creatures. So we're multi-celled. If you just had our skin cell, take a skin cell off, it wouldn't be able to survive by itself. Microorganisms, they can survive by themselves. They're just lonely little uh, uh, cells that can do everything it needs to do. Go uh, travel around, eat stuff, reproduce. Uh, and really, prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics harness uh, those microbes. They live with us, uh, and, and we protect them. We give them food, and then they give us uh, things that can be, be healthy for us. So how how do we um, make sure that our, our uh, use, use of these microbes are, are going to be even better than they already are? And, and uh, this is where you can look at these differences. You can think of these little microbes as factories. Okay, and if you want to make your if you want to help yourself out, you can, first of all, ingest more of a particular factory. So you have a particular microbe that is a particular thing uh, and you want that particular thing. And so you eat more of that particular microbe. This is what probiotics are. So you might have a lactobacillus bacteria that is going to uh, uh, be able to um help you in in certain gut health parameters. And so you take more of that. You want it to be alive. You want it to take up shop down in your large intestine and be that little factory down in your large intestine doing what it needs to do. Uh, the other uh, thing is prebiotics. Uh, and as far as this metaphor goes, prebiotics would be the, the fuel or the raw materials for those little factories. You've already got a bunch of factories in your gut. It's, it's called your microbiome. It's a huge ecology of different bacteria, viruses, fungi uh, that are there. Uh, and what you, your body knows what it needs. You have this microbiome that it thinks that it needs, but it still needs fuel and it still needs uh, uh, raw materials. And so when you talk to any nutritionist, they're gonna say, eat your vegetables. This is a big reason why you have to eat your vegetables. Uh, you want to feed uh, your microbiome and, and specifically, uh, you can have molecules called prebiotics that are going to specifically feed uh, certain aspects of, of those uh, factories that are in your gut. Now, postbiotics 
are the goods that the factories make. So the whole reason why you want to take advantage of these microbes is what they make. And postbiotics, essentially, you take those microbes and you have and you um, you grow them up outside your body, uh, and then you you uh, take them and you you kill them and you um, have those those cells and cell fragments, as well as the metabolites uh, that they made. The whole purpose of those microbes and how they're good for your health is in those postbiotics. So that's an overview. Um, postbiotics, the term came out through various different uh, scientific type studies. Uh, and that meant that as, as we saw things, certain things happen in the, that science, there were different definitions. And so one of them would be you're studying probiotics. Uh, part of the mode of action of probiotics was thought that they need to remain alive and then colonize your gut. And so they did some experiments and they had the live probiotics. And then as a negative control, they would have people take that same microbe, but dead. And presumably those dead microbes would not give the health benefit that the probiotics uh, did. And that did happen in many cases. It was true that often it needed to remain alive in order to give that health benefit. But sometimes there was a surprise. Sometimes those dead microbes actually gave a health benefit. And even they're seeing sometimes it's, it's more pronounced uh, when they're dead than when they're alive. And so that was one reason why postbiotics came around. There were other people who were studying the metabolites that our, the bacteria in our microbiome were making, and they saw that it was giving health benefits. And so they decided that there needed to be a term for that as well. And so you have all these different definitions of postbiotic. It's a new term. This is not something to be too worried about. Whenever you have a new term, uh, there's going to be some debate about the definition. Uh, but as we're seeing it into the market, so as scientists start talking about it, start studying it more, and as you see them in supplements and as consumers start looking for them, you do need to have some sort of definition that we can all rely on uh, so that we know we're all talking about the same thing. And so an organization called the International Scientific Association of Prebiotics and Probiotics has come along and made a consensus definition for postbiotics. They'd already made a consensus definition for probiotics and prebiotics, and they really became the industry standard uh, for uh, those definitions. And so they re recently, two years ago, uh, published uh, one for, I think it's three years ago now, uh, for postbiotics. Now, uh, the, um, the definition is a postbiotic is a preparation of inanimate microorganisms and other components that confer a health benefit on the host. Uh, in order to, to uh, talk about, to sort of pick apart that definition, I want to bring up uh, the example of a postbiotic that my company uh, uh, offers, which is called Epicor. Epicor has been out in the, in the market for quite a while, about 15 years. Uh, we already knew that it was good for immune health and gut health, uh, but we kind of struggled on what to call it. Uh, we call it a fermentate, uh, for instance, because we make it through fermentation, but we were very happy for the term postbiotic uh, to, to come around because it fits what Epicor is, both in terms of identity and what it does. So how does Epicor fit that definition? Well, first of all, you need to have microorganisms. And for Epicor, it is uh, a particular organism called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It's a yeast 
And it's a specific, specific variant of that yeast called baker's yeast. Um, so this is exactly the same yeast that bakers use to help bread rise. And so, but what's important about the definition is that it needs to be very well characterized. So it's going to be a specific uh, variant or a specific strain of a particular bacteria or yeast. And it needs to be the same every time. This is, this is the big differentiator between postbiotics and fermented food. Uh, fermented food is also healthy for you, but it doesn't need to be as well characterized. So if you make a kimchi, you might have different kinds of cabbage and you might have different kinds of bacteria that, that are fermented, fermenting it. When you have a postbiotic, it's going to be something very specific. You want to make sure that you're making it the same way every time. And part of that is by having the same microorganism. The second part of the definition is that those microorganisms need to be inanimate. So that's just kind of a nice way of saying killed <laughs> or dead. They didn't want to say dead or inactive, uh, which is some ways that some, sometimes this will describe dead microbes because they didn't want to connote that it wasn't actually doing anything. Um, it actually is, even though they're killed, they're actually doing something, so they called it inanimate. And Epicor, that yeast is grown and fermented. All those great metabolites are being made and you have everything that the yeast is made of, but then the last step in making it is this high heat step that kills all the yeast. And so this is the big differentiator between a postbiotic and a probiotic. Probiotics have to be alive and postbiotics have to be dead. So this is this big, big difference. Next, that it is a preparation. And, and part of this ISAP definition is that you have whole cells or cell fragments. Um, this is maybe the most uh, part of the definition that's under debate still. Um, some people think it just needs to be the metabolites, uh, but ISAP felt it was necessary to have whole cells or cell fragments, as well as it could have the metabolites as well as part of that definition. And why I think they think that's important, why we think it's important, is you need to draw that, that line between postbiotics, probiotics, and prebiotics. Uh, if you just talk about the metabolites, after all, ethanol is a part of uh, is part of fermentation, is part of uh, what microbes make. You wouldn't call ethanol a postbiotic. You need to have that that connection between those cells that you would have in probiotics. Uh, and so this is why we think that that part is def is important. And again, that preparation needs to be well characterized and be able to be done the same way every time. So every time you make this postbiotic, it's the same material. The very last part of the definition is probably the most important part. It needs to have a uh, shown that it confers a health benefit on the host. Uh, just because, and you have that same clause for probiotics and prebiotics, just because you've eaten a lot of live bacteria does not mean you've taken a probiotic. That particular strain of bacteria at a particular dose has to have shown with science to give a health benefit, or you cannot call that a probiotic. It's the same with postbiotics. Just because you've eaten a lot of dead yeast doesn't mean you've taken a postbiotic. That particular variant of yeast made in a particular way with a particular dose has to have been shown through science to give a health benefit. And this is really where Epicor shines because even before we knew to call it a postbiotic, we'd already done uh, many human clinical trials to show that it helps both in immune health and gut health. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that interesting way of explaining the difference between those three types of biotics, that analogy of the factories and the products that come out of the factory. It's a really simple way of explaining it. As you said, that is your job. So, um, <laughs> and so I, 
I'm interested to know then if the postbiotics are the products that come out of the factories, does that kind of imply that they're harder or more costly or time intensive to manufacture um, than probiotics or prebiotics are? Well, as far as manufacturing them go, I, you know, I don't know uh, the process of making uh, probably probiotics, but you're sort of doing the same thing at the very beginning where you're doing fermentation. Uh, your, your fermentation means that you're growing uh, microbes up. Uh, and so you, um, you're needing to do that for probiotics and you're needing to do that with, with postbiotics as well. But I can say what, what does, what it does mean at the very end is you have a tougher material uh, with postbiotics than you have with probiotics. You have to keep those probiotics alive or else it's main mode of action uh, can't occur, which is to be able to colonize your gut. And what that means is you have to be a lot more careful both when you're, when you're making it, but also when you're giving it to manufacturers to put into uh, their, uh, uh, their probiotic um, uh, into their product. uh, products, yeah. yeah, whether it's food or whether it's a supplement. And then, you know, the packaging has to keep them alive. Uh, when they transport it to the stores, it needs to be stayed, stayed alive. And then the uh, consumers, once they buy it, they need to keep it alive as well. But the last very last step of making a postbiotic is killing all those. And it's usually a, essentially a pasteurization step. So any sort of processing that you might be doing, in which, which postbiotics are going to be a part, uh, it, they're probably going to survive. So any sort of food that uh, that requires pasteurization or any sort of supplement that needs to be in a high heat uh, will be okay. And then actual storage of it, it doesn't need to, uh, you don't need to worry about other things that are combined with it, uh, with probiotics, other things. You might have it nice and stable, but if you want to add something with it, it might make them unstable. That usually is not much of a concern with postbiotics. And this is part of the exciting aspects of postbiotics, both for functional foods and for supplements. Okay, excellent. And so you said that Cargill was um, pleased to um, receive this new label that they could put on their product as mm-hmm. postbiotic. Mm-hmm. And is right. this, um, do they use that term a lot? Oh, yes. I think that uh, there is some aspects in Europe uh, where there might be issues. Uh, and it's a very complicated situation. I won't get completely into it. But uh, the European, uh, the EU um, uh, regulatory agencies do have issues with calling, using the probiotic uh, label on um, packaging. And people do feel that that will then carry over with postbiotics. There's a big, there's big change in the probiotics. I think a good change in, 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 in that, in that individual countries are finding ways to allow of uh, supplement makers to use the word post probiotic. And I think that will also carry over to postbiotics. But we're seeing a lot of interest uh, in, in our customers who uh, for functional food and supplements to use the word uh, postbiotic. And this is one of the reasons why we really wanted to latch onto it is, is that uh, consumers, even if they don't know uh, what that definition is uh, yet, which is fine because it's brand new and we're doing our, 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 uh, our best to try to get the education out there, uh, but they'll, they know that it sort of sounds like probiotics. They know that it means that it's working in their gut. Uh, and so this is a great way to have people, a hook for people to get and look more closely at the ingredient and, and look exactly uh, what it is. And you are seeing consumer awareness, even though it's still low, of postbiotics continue to creep up. There's there's uh, various um, uh surveys out there that do show that uh, would you buy a, uh, something that had the word postbiotic even if they don't know what postbiotic is they said they would and they're interested in helping out their gut for all the different health uh, benefits they can have beyond even uh, their gut and so you mentioned uh human clinical uh studies into um 
your ingredient, um, Epicor. Uh, could you take me through um, some of the uh, more notable clinical research there and um, the some of the biomarkers that you were looking at? Certainly, certainly. So we... Um... We knew we we the way Epicor was discovered um, was was kind of interesting. So it came from a, I'm, I'm in Iowa and it came out of an agricultural company uh, who really had been doing this for 75 years. This this the person who founded it knew that when you give fermented food to animals, it makes them more healthy. This is something that farmers have known since the ancient Egyptians. So silage is is. Uh, fermented grain, and the word silo comes from that. Uh, but he wanted to make it more consistent, more safe, easier to use for farmers. So he developed a way to do fermentation in the uh, in a, a fermentation plant. Uh, spray that fermentation solution on the feed, and make it very easy uh, for farmers to use. Uh, and if you know any farmers, they're not going to do anything unless it works. Uh, they're not going to spend extra money on their feed unless they're going to get more money on the other side. And sure enough, the chickens laid more eggs, the cows gave more milk, the baby animals. Animals survive better, and they really hone this this fermentation technology over that time. Well, what happened was they in the in the 1990s they noticed that the people working in these fermentation plants were were putting in uh, were were having a healthy immune system than the people working in the office. They did some pilot studies to show that their immune systems were better. Uh, they they well the light bulb went off. People are animals too. That's when they started making Epicor. It's made in a different way. It's in a completely different plant. It's food grade. Uh, the last step is different. We we essentially dry it instead of spraying it onto feed. And it's really that material uh, that we ended up doing human clinicals on. And uh, the, uh, the first ones were on immunity. And really Epicor is thought of as an immune ingredient because of that. Uh, we did uh, cold and flu studies where um, we, we did see that there is seasonal support uh, for Epicor as well as both in the spring and the winter. Uh, and then uh, we then ended up doing gut health studies as well. And we showed that it helped, it does modulate the microbiome and does uh, help with a, a certain population uh, with mild constipation, with, with mild discomfort, it helped them as, as well with certain aspects of, of digestive discomfort as well. And we looked at the uh, fecal samples in that study and showed that there was a modulation uh, of the microbiome uh, for them. Interesting. And of course, the gut microbiome and the immune system are so closely related. Could you take us through how um, the gut impacts the immune system? Yeah, that, yeah, that's great. And it goes the other way around as well. I think the gut is very important uh, for our immune system. And the first way to, to kind of get a, a, a step into the, this connection is to know that 70% of our immune cells are in our gut. That seems, you know, why is our body so centered, our immune system so centered on your gut? And if you think about it a little bit, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we, we are probably more when we think about our immune system we think of the dangers in the air and what we touch and our immune system really working in our blood uh, but really when we lived in caves the most dangerous thing that we faced every day was not cyber saber tooth tigers or anything that we we breathed but it was the food uh, that we ate they didn't have pasteurization back then uh, and so it really this this dangerous stuff that we had that we ate our uh, we had to our immune system had to take care of that and and really because 70 percent of our immune cells in your gut they need to be taken care of and this is where the microbiome comes in so i was talking about metabolites that the microbiome makes a lot of them are 
molecules that then feed the cells in our gut lining, including our immune cells. And so uh, really a nice healthy microbiome is going to help us directly, our immune system directly. Another aspect is if you've got a nice healthy microbiome, then our immune system of our gut doesn't have to work as hard. It's not having to put out fires. It's not having to cause inflammation, uh, which can often, often happen with an immune response. And so a nice healthy microbiome that's not causing us a lot of trouble is going to help our immune system because it doesn't need to work as hard or, or do undue inflammation. But it's really the other way around. Uh, our a healthy immune system will help our gut. How do we determine uh, which are the good bacteria and which are the bad bacteria and which, which are we going to fight and which we're going to uh, allow to live? Some of these bacteria look very similar. Uh, uh, and so uh, we need a nice, robust, discriminating and dynamic system, our immune system, to make sure that our microbiome needs to be the way it is. Every time we eat something that's a new thing that our immune system has to deal with and make a proper response to, uh, and so a uh, healthy immune system is going to make that our microbiome more healthy. And so you have this cycle uh, where a nice balanced immune system is going to give you a nice balanced uh, uh, microbiome, and a nice balanced microbiome is going to give you a nice balanced um, immune system, and unfortunately, it goes the other way around. You can get down to this, this cycle that's going the wrong direction where an imbalanced microbiome is going to cause your immune system to be imbalanced. And then that is going to make our microbiome even worse because it's not working the way it's meant to be. And then you have this kind of bad cycle going. So you really want to get your immune system and, and microbiome to the way where they're helping each other instead of hurting each other. And how closely do you think consumers link immune health and gut health? Do you think it's a connection that's as well understood in the mass market compared to um, things like digestive health? Or um... Right. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I think I think maybe 15 years ago uh, or so, uh, consumers maybe didn't make that connection between gut and immune health. Uh, but uh, really, with the rise of the popularity of probiotics, uh, people really are starting to uh, uh, do make that recognition. And we do have a, a survey that says that 79% of consumers recognize a link between digestive health and overall health. And that's grown. Uh, this is this was done in 2022. That's grown up to, up 10 points. Uh, 10 percentage points since 2018. So you really are seeing a, a, a big increase in this recognition between the two. And really, in general, gut health is a leading area of interest uh, for, for consumers. And then when you kind of drill down, a bit, you ask them why, and building immunity is a key uh, reason behind this focus around gut health. And so does the science suggest that postbiotics are safe to be taken by all demographics of consumer? Are there any specific yeah. populations that might be even more likely to benefit? Yeah, uh, another good question. I think, um, first of all, you have, you have to kind of step back and you, you said, will our postbiotics safe to use in particular demographics? Every postbiotic is going to be different. So it's, it's sort of like saying, um, are all minerals uh, safe? Some minerals are going to be safe. Some minerals are not going to be safe. Uh, Every postbiotic needs to be tested for safety uh, in order to make sure that it is safe. So a different postbiotic might be made from a different type of bacteria, a different type of yeast. It might be produced in a different way. And importantly, it might have different health benefits. So beyond even talking about safety, it's important to understand that there are going to be different postbiotics. This confusion uh, was always already happening with probiotics where people say, well, you know, I ate my probiotics. Mm -hmm. That's not really how it works. It's, it's you've eaten a specific probiotic 
that's helping you in a certain way and is made out of a certain uh, bacteria. It's the same with postbiotics. And so you really do need to look at the postbiotic and make sure that that it that particular one is safe. And really, if it's on the market, it's going to be safe. It wouldn't be allowed to be on the market if, if it wasn't uh, uh, safe. Now, one aspect of postbiotics compared to probiotics, and there can be concern with probiotics, some, some of it founded and most of it unfounded really, that if it's alive, it's going to be more dangerous. You don't have that problem uh, with postbiotics. And really, it is safe for, for, if it's safe, it's safe for all demographics. And so you, you're uh, seeing some postbiotics being used in, in infant formula. And uh, of course, with Epicor, you're, it's been tested in children and, and as well as in adults. And, and, and uh, postbox especially will be uh, safe for people uh, who are older as well. Excellent. And so, um, so postbiotics are regularly used in infant nutrition already. Well, uh, postbiotics aren't regularly used anywhere <laughs> right now. They're so new, right? But but the most some of the more exciting um, uh, examples of postbiotics who have done their clinical trials. Uh, so this is you know. Ep- Postbiotics are so new that that uh, there's a lot of postbiotics where you, you do know that it's working in model systems and they're in the process of doing uh, human clinicals where they really have to show a health benefit. So that uh, luckily Epicor kind of hit the ground running before we knew to call it a postbiotic. Uh, we did those immune and gut health studies, so we have those human clinicals. Uh, one other aspect, we have not done clinicals on infants yet, but other postbiotics have have done. So you you get these, especially uh, bifida bacteria, specific kind of bacteria, and lactose bacillus, lactobacillus bacteria. There's many kinds of lactobacillus bacteria. So specific strains of lactobacillus bacteria have been used in infant formula. And some of the things they saw was that it can get the the infant's microbiome back to um, what it's meant to be if they were being breastfed. So these might be infants that can't be breastfed for whatever reason, and and they can uh, get the microbiome back the way it's meant to be. It helps with certain uh, health conditions that are common with infants as well. You do have these human clinicals with them, and so you can then call uh, these these dead lactobacillus and bifida uh, uh, preparations postbiotics. And. Do postbiotics work in synergy with pro and prebiotics in the same way that you would get symbiotics with pro and prebiotics in? Right. Yeah. Good question. It's I would not call it synergy. So with with uh, synergy, you really need to be working uh, strongly together, and that makes some sense with certain prebiotics and certain probiotics, where you pick. Uh, you, like I said, the prebiotics is the fuel for the factory, and then you, and then it. But they're going to be very specific. So you have a specific fuel for a specific factory. So you have a specific prebiotic for a specific probiotic, and so it makes sense to to, to call that synergy. Yeah. Um, with with uh, postbiotics, you really don't have that as, as much. Uh, where where but they can be very complementary. Is a be- be- kind of a better way to put it. Uh, where you really want to help your gut, right? And and prebiotics, probiotics, and, and postbiotics are all helping your gut. But it will be done in different ways. Just like there's different postbiotics that have different health benefits. You can have a probiotic that has a particular health benefit, perhaps in your gut, and you can have a postbiotic like Epicor that has a different health benefit, perhaps with immunity, and you can combine them. You know that both of them together are helping your gut, but then separately, uh, one's helping one aspect of your immune system and one's helping another aspect. And you are seeing a lot of supplement makers making these combinations. Great. So looking to the future now, um, what do you think is going to be the next big biotic to watch out for? Because I've heard (laughs) about um, parabiotics and I'm I'm not really 100% sure 
what these are and how these differ from the rest of the biotics. I don't know if you can help me there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we think the next big biotic is postbiotics. I, I think it's, it's still too early not to be calling it that. That is the next one. I think if you talk to, like I said, there is a growing uh, recognition of what postbiotics are, but it's still it's still quite small. It's, it's growing, but it's still quite small. So we think that that is the next big thing that people are going to be uh, looking for. And that this podcast is a great way to to increase that awareness of that. Um, parabiotics is is like I said, the the science behind postbiotics is is new. And you have multiple definitions of postbiotics that are that are out there. Uh, we like the ISEP definition, um, but depending on what the the science was, you might have other definitions. You also have multiple terms, and so uh, it, maybe instead of calling something that was very similar to a postbiotic. Uh, a postbiotic, it was called a parabiotic. Uh, as scientists are trying to uh, talk about these things, they're going to have different terms. Certain terms are going to uh, coalesce more than others. We think that the term postbiotic is is what's really solidifying. I think it's a better way of talking about what it does, which is which is what the um, your post, your what the uh, the microbes are doing and what they're making. Um, but you'll see that the term pro parabiotic and uh, and postbiotic used interchangeably uh, right now to a certain extent. So we'll, we'll see how it shakes out when it happens. You know, one of my favorite terms uh, for these, which I, unfortunately is not catching on, but I understand why it's not, is zombiotics. Mm -hmm. So talking about how um, yeah they're they're dead, but they're somehow alive because they're uh, they're actually having a health benefit. But I don't think that's going to catch on. <laughs> yeah, won't catch on with the consumer marketing side of things. I like it though. Okay, that's yep. fantastic. Thank you so much for taking me through that really fascinating stuff. And I really think you've helped to explain quite a complicated subject in, in a really simple way. So thanks again, Justin. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure. I'm really hopeful to, to see the, uh, the increase in the use of postbiotics for human health.